Sazio, the Belmont Abbey College podcast. This podcast focuses on the way of formation and transformation so that each of us reflects God's image in an ever more palpable and transparent way. I'm Julia Long, and today I'm joined by the Honorable Richard Boner, who is on staff with Belmont Abbey and also has a lot of experience in the legal space as a superior judge. Today, we're going to talk about the Johnny Depp Amber Heard case and really dive into some of the psychology and motives behind it. But before that happens, I'd like to give Judge Boner a chance to introduce himself. I finished law school in 1975 at UNC School of Law. I came to Charlotte uh, that fall as an assistant public defender um, in a newly created office, public defender office. And I spent a little over two years doing indigent criminal defense. Okay. Uh, part of it initially was in district court. I ended up spending most of my time trying jury cases in superior court, representing people who were indigent, who were charged with felonies. Okay. And then I left the public defender office uh, in 1978, basically was burned out, and and joined the city attorney's office representing the city of Charlotte and uh, did some uh, litigation for the city of Charlotte. Um, also advised some of the city departments, including Douglas Airport okay. uh, and the Public Works Department. And then I had the opportunity to go into private practice in 1980 with a guy with whom I was running at lunch at the Y. Yeah. And, and that was a litigation firm. So I joined that firm and was a member of that firm for seven years, uh, we had some clients that we represented, uh, the bus company in Charlotte. Uh, we represented um, some businesses. We represented um, uh, Jim Crockett Promotions, the professional wrestling promoter. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, so we represented all the professional wrestlers Crockett had, uh, Ric Flair, Dusty Rhodes. Those uh, okay, guys. yeah. And then um, I uh, had always thought about being a judge and had worked, uh, had been politically active in the Republican Party, had worked um, on Governor Martin's 1984 campaign uh, for governor, had worked on Alec McMillan's congressional campaign in 84 and 86. And so, uh, as it turned out, Governor Martin had the opportunity to appoint some what are called special superior court judges, and a vacancy came open uh, in the spring of 1987, and I was the one who, who he appointed. And so I did that for, I was a special Superior Court judge going all over the state of North Carolina holding court. Uh, The legislature, uh, which was controlled by the Democrats, uh, basically abolished all the seats of the Republican judges Martin had appointed. Uh, And um, mine mine was one of the ones that was abolished. So I'd left my firm. Our firm was, was, was dissolved. My law partner had moved to Asheville. He'd remarried and moved to Asheville. So I was kind of at wit's end. And as luck would have it, the legislature had created a new district court seat uh, in Mecklenburg County. I ran for election in a contested race uh, for that seat, was elected in the 88 election, and became a district court judge. And... Um, then in, did that for 10 years, and then the 98 election uh, decided I was either going to go back to practicing law uh, or I was going to try and get on Superior Court. And so I ran against two incumbents for a spot, and um, was one of them was terminally ill. She ended up resigning because of medical reasons. So I basically walked into the seat in the 98 election and was a Superior Court judge, resident Superior Court judge from 98 till the end of 2014 when I retired. So you have 
long experience in this legal space um, and kind of in several different capacities. So um, one of the things, and I'm by no means an expert um, in the way that you are, but one of the things that I always try to look for, maybe this is my journalistic training, is, okay, what are both sides saying and what can I look at as fact? Right. Like, what do I think, aside from the he said, she said, aside from the emotions, aside from whatever, you know, what can I pull from this as fact? And I think looking at the details of this case, for me, it's a little bit challenging because it feels like when you read the details and granted, this is all being filtered through the media. Right. But when you read the details, it feels a bit like kind of just a a spat right like an argument and and a part of me is sitting here thinking like should this even have gone to the courts you know like is this really a legal issue or is this an issue you know you mentioned earlier defamation is this an issue of pride or image and when does that become a legal issue i I think you could call this 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 case lifestyles of the rich and famous uh i think if if you boil boil it down to its basics it's basically a spite lawsuit okay and what does that mean basically it's a payback revenge or payback uh you know i mean if i were johnny depp i would think probably what i'm being accused of might actually enhance my app my uh my um creds as being basically a wild wild guy you know like charlie sheen you know they actually wouldn't hurt now he says he, I think he lost the, one of the Pirates movies because he of, did the sixth of one. The sixth one, um, but you know, uh, I, th- I think I think he's going to have a hard time proving it. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to have a hard, because of the, the, the he's going to have to overcome the, the the requirement of proving malice, basically proving that she just intentionally made all this up. Yeah, that she's testified about. And that was one thing that was interesting to me when I was reading the footnotes. So for the audience's benefit, um, it seems like Amber Heard and Johnny Depp were involved for quite a long time before they got married. So for all intents and purposes, they knew each other, right? She didn't meet him, and they didn't get married after six months. They had a longstanding relationship and hopefully knew each other's character. Uh, Then I believe it was in 2018 or 2019 when she wrote the article, and it looks like it took things about a year to kind of respond or for the official claim to be made. Um, And then that's when the defamation case um, came up. So, in kind of thinking about this, I mean, that's one thing I'm wondering is, is it safe to assume that this is Johnny Depp's retaliation to her? He didn't like what she said, and so he's like, okay, well, this is about something larger because this is my image and I'm suing you and that's that. Yeah, well, again, other than losing the the role uh, on Pirates, the Pirates of Caribbean number six, what other damage has he sustained? I mean, are, are people not going to pay to go see him uh, in any of the future roles? I mean, uh, he's he's had other roles other than the, than the the pirates movies. I mean, he played yeah. uh, Public Enemies. He played John Dellinger in Public Enemies, and and he's had other roles. So you know, I, I'm just wondering how he's going to show that other than maybe losing the what he would have gotten for the movie that he's any worse off. Yeah, and that's a point, too. I mean, so we are kind of seeing the reactivity of Disney here, right? Because yeah. this happened before a verdict has even gone out. Yeah. Um, I mean, 
should that lead us to believe that the case has validity? Or do you think that was just Disney being safe? Probably Disney being safe. Just like they've been safe down in Florida. <laughs> yeah. And we've seen that, you know, kind of this reactive behavior on the part of companies and businesses in our culture, you know, with the MLB kind of going in and removing the all-star game, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think once you have a business or a company that's as big as Disney and they kind of pull out, I mean, that's not good for Johnny Depp because then the public is something that could be purely reactionary on Disney's part. The public probably takes that and says, oh, well, if Disney believes it, should I? I? I suspect, and I could be wrong, but I suspect if you went out on the streets of Gastonia or Belmont and took a poll, uh, has your opinion of Johnny Depp changed any because of this lawsuit? I wouldn't be surprised that a lot of folks would say, what lawsuit? You don't even think people. You don't think people are aware. I think some people who basically don't work during the day, <laughs> who don't have anything to do, they run out of soap operas to watch. Will probably pay attention to it. But you know, I suspect that people who are holding down normal jobs, they might pay attention here and there. But you've also got, again, it's the lifestyles of the rich and famous. You, you know, you, a lot of people are going to say, "Who cares?" Yeah. Who cares? I don't. You know, these rich people, these celebrities, you know, a bunch of Hollywood types. Who cares? Yeah. I mean, you know, the, among the average American, uh, the Hollywood folks aren't rather really popular. Right. right. There's a perception that the Hollywood folks tell tell the average American, "Here's what you ought to think, and here's what you ought to do." Right. And I think, to a certain extent, a lot of folks don't could care less right. what what goes on in Hollywood and who, what these folks do and what they think. Uh, yeah. And I think you raise a really good point because it's tough for the average American to relate to the rich and famous, yeah. right? There are uh, solutions that they have to their problems that we don't have. They have a, a different way of living and a different lifestyle, right? One thing that I think that is an area of relatability, if it's true, is that if Amber Heard or Johnny Depp, for that matter, if either party was abused, unfortunately, there are a number of average Americans that can relate to that. Yeah, to some extent, right. but but you know you've got some lady who basically uh, is is barely getting by, uh, maybe lower in lower income uh, person. They're going to say, yeah, she was abused, but gosh, look look, look at she can get away from it, and look, she can be you know she's got her own income and her own wealth. You know, how am I supposed to relate to that? I'm I mean I'm yeah. barely getting by. So the situations might be similar, but the outcomes are vastly different. Whereas the average American doesn't have the um, resources to go through, you know. Yeah. So, um, I mean, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about, so as a a judge, if you were presiding over this case, uh, what would would be in your head? What would you be thinking? Well, when when I tried cases as a judge, I always liked watching the witnesses testify. And I could get a sense of how I thought they were coming across to the jury. Mm-hmm. Um, matter of fact, I tried a case here in Gaston County years ago that went to the North Carolina Supreme Court, and it was a case in which Kmart had been sued uh, by a couple who had been walking around Franklin Square Mall mm-hmm. for exercise and who were accosted by security guards for Kmart. Mm-hmm. And they, um, they were accused of dumpster diving. Oh. And... One of the security guards grabbed the lady, and her husband 
her husband uh, got into it with one of the cards, was taken down to the ground, to the pavement. The, the wife drew, drew, dropped, uh, jumped on the back of the security guard. She was thrown to the pavement and injured. Oh, and nice. anyway, long story short, during the trial, uh, Kmart calls one of its witnesses a higher-up for Kmart Corporation. And I remember thinking, watching him testify, this guy is arrogant. The jury is not going to like this guy. And, you know, he just comes across as pompous, right. you know, self. And, and I was right. I mean, Kmart got popped. They got they got a, a punitive damage award. It was like a $20 million punitive damage award handed wow. down by the jury in that case. And I think a witness, particularly a corporate witness, uh, can um, – uh, can can do a lot of damage to their their case uh, if they come across badly, yeah. and that, or any witness who comes across badly can do can do a lot of damage to the per, the case they're testifying for. Right, and that's in large part why witnesses are so important, yeah. right, and why the prosecution and defense go through yeah. so much to choose them. Um, I saw I can't remember who it was, but um, some news outlet was reporting on Johnny Depp's facial expressions during the trial. And uh, just some things they had noticed, the facial expressions he was able to make, the way he was physically able to contort his face. And they said that, um, I think it was a psychologist who was commenting on it and saying, like, this is part of what makes him a good actor. But in the court space, <laughs> you're shaking your finger at me. Do you have something to say? What I, I would be thinking if I were on that jury is when, he's, when he was testifying, yeah. Is is this Johnny the real Johnny Depp or is, it, is this Johnny Depp the actor? Right. Is he acting? Is this all an act? Right. Is this all a put on? Right. He's got that disadvantage that the average witness doesn't have. Is right. that he's known basically to play characters and play roles, and I think one of the jur the jurors may say, well, you know, is this is he playing a role here? Can yeah. we believe this is r real or is this just made up? And what do you do in that case as a judge and a jury who's been tasked? I mean, well, how do you? I'll give you an example. That? We. Uh, one of the things that we do in criminal cases, and I say we judges in criminal civil trials, when we give the jury their instructions, one of the instructions we give them goes something like this. Ladies and gentlemen, you're the judges of the credibility of the witnesses. Yeah. You must decide for yourselves whether to believe the testimony of any witness. You can believe all or any part or none of what a witness has said on the stand. Right. In deciding whether to believe a witness, you should use the same test of truthfulness that you use in your everyday affairs. These tests include the opportunity of the witness to see, hear, know, or remember the facts or occurrences about which the witness testified, the manner and appearance of the witness, yeah. any interest, bias, or partiality the witness may have, the apparent understanding and fairness of the witness, right. whether the testimony is reasonable, and whether the testimony is consistent with the other believable evidence in the case. In other words, what we tell jurors is, uh, is if you're listening to this person, you're trying to make up your mind whether they're telling the truth. Yeah. Use a same, do consider the, how you would would make make that same decision if you were buying a car from somebody, right. or if you were uh, being sold a service by some slick salesman. Yeah. Uh, you know, would you? How would you approach it from that standpoint? Yeah. And I think that's where he's got a disadvantage in that. I think people are going to, jurors are going to be thinking, well, you know, again, this guy's a professional actor. How do we yeah. know if what he's doing, whether this is a put on or whether it's real? Yeah, authenticity is definitely called yeah. into question here because yeah. of his, his career. And you have to wonder, is that fair? But then I think the issue of fairness on, on the whole in these types of things is tough to discern. Um, something that you said is really interesting to me. You said that as a judge, you're 
really looking at the witnesses and how you think the jury is going to re to respond. What role does body language play into that? Plays a lot, and I, I and any good trial lawyer will tell you that when you're preparing your client, the person you're representing to testify, there are certain things you tell them. One, uh, you know, keep your cool. Right. Don't let the guy, the other lawyer, get under your skin. You know, sit up. Don't slouch. Uh, and whenever you, whenever you answer the questions, don't look at me. Look at the jury. You're talking to them. You're not talking to me. Right. You know, look at the jury. You know, keep your head up. Don't be and speak clearly, uh, because jurors are going to be paying attention to your to the body language. They're going to be, you know, they, they'll, they'll notice little things. Let me give you an example. I had a. Um, had a case where a guy uh, had been a prisoner in the Mecklenburg County Jail, mm -hmm. and he was. Uh, we were trying a jury case. He called as one of his witness uh, another inmate at the Mecklenburg County Jail. Yeah. And the witness stand was over here to my right, uh, and I could not see the Bible mm -hmm. uh, where he was going to be. He was going to put his hand on. Yeah. But when he was called to the witness stand and asked us to put his to be sworn, I didn't see it, but the jurors did. If this is the Bible, he did this. Oh, he, he would not put it. his hand down on the Bible. He had his hand over it, but not on it. Just and the jury saw that. Over it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. And so it was obvious that he was planning to lie and didn't want to have his hand on the Bible. He knew enough to want to put his hand on the good book and tell a falsehood because that's what he was planning to do. And the jury didn't believe a thing he said. Right. Oh, wow. That's so fascinating. And you can tell, too, um, uh, I'll tell you something else. I was telling some friend of mine today. Um, uh, my law partner, we did insurance defense litigation. We represent insurance companies on automobile cases and personal injury cases. And, and my law partner was a really skilled trial attorney. And it, let's say that you had a woman plaintiff yeah. who was claiming she was injured in an automobile accident. My law partner, when he took her deposition, would be just really nasty. And during the deposition, really just, you know, aggressive and nasty. And, of course, he'd get her all, get her back up, you know, and everything else. So whenever he would actually try the case in front of the jury and she's on the witness stand and says, turned across the exam, and she's thinking, here it comes, here it comes. So she, he, he's very mannerly and everything, and she bites his head off in front of the, in front of the jury because she remembers what happened in front of the, you know, the deposition. She's expecting the same treatment. That's how she's primed to react, and so she's biting his head off in front of the jury, and he's being very nice and like, what am I doing? <laughs> that is um, a type of psychology, right? Yeah. I mean, man. And there, there is that preparedness, right? Yeah. That you have to go in with a strategy. You know, you don't just wake up and roll out of bed and think like, okay, I'm going to go do this today. Yeah. And that, that is one thing that's so interesting to me about in the courtroom, because like in life, we all have different roles to play, right? But we're not all necessarily playing them all at the same time with all eyes on each other, the same way you are in a courtroom, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think what is there... You've talked a little bit about body language. What about eye contact? I mean, is that something you've seen too? When people will not look you in your face in the eyes when you're talking to you, yeah. you've got to wonder why are they? Why won't they look me in my face? Why won't they look at me? Right. You know, is it because they they're they're ashamed of what they're going to tell me, or they're not telling me the full truth, right. or they're not telling me any truth, any of the truth? Right. And and that's why I always told my clients, and often good trial attorneys will tell their their clients when you testify. Look at the jury. Yeah, yeah. L don't talk to me. Look over at the jury box. You're addressing them. Right. 
And I did the same. And when I would argue to the jury as a trial lawyer, I wouldn't just I, I would talk, I would talk to every single one of the twelve. I would look when I was I wouldn't just focus on one person. I would talk to each one. I would have a conversation with each one of the twelve people. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm I'm sitting here kind of thinking about too about the outcomes, right? So what do you think the best possible outcome looks like for both parties? If they find she was she that she basically maliciously libeled him or defamed him, then uh, she they'll the jury if they can, are able to put a dollar value on it, which I assume right now would be how much he was going to make on the Disney on the movie, the Pirates of the Caribbean. I would assume he's got a figure that he's going to his lawyers are going to have put in front of the jury as to how much he lost because he's that, that he was fired. Yeah. Um, that. I don't know what that amount was. Uh, I'm sure it's a sizable amount. Um, but he's got the first hurdle of, get, of convincing the jury that, in fact, she's liable. That she, that he's got the first, the first issue of whether or not he was maliciously defamed. If he gets past that, I suspect he'll get at least what he got, what he can show he lost from the cancellation of his role on that last movie. Yeah, that's fair. And that to me is is n- not something I connected the dots with at first. At first, I just thought, okay, on his part, this is revenge. But I guess it's really twofold. Revenge for the article and, okay, I'm now losing this money, so I want it yeah, back. You've got to be able to give the jury if something that they, they get their arms around. I mean, you can't just say, well, yeah, I was defamed. Well, what does that translate into dollars? Right. Obviously, if he can show how much he lost by not by the movie role being canceled, that's some amount. But as far as anything else, he's going to have to show. Well, I, you know, I I was supposed to get a role in another movie. They they passed me over for that. He's going to have to basically be able to pinpoint. Here's a specific damage that I suffered, and what it here's what it was worth. And what about Amber? I mean, what does it look like for her if she had her best outcome? That she doesn't have to pay anything to him. So except really, her, all comes down lawyer. to money. Except her lawyer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's one other thing. I don't know how well she, how how well off she is financially, but let's assume he gets a multi-million dollar verdict. Right. Okay. Getting a verdict is fine, or a judgment is fine. Then you got to collect it. Mm. And you know, if some, if she's not able to pay the award, you march down to the bankruptcy court and file bankruptcy. That's what I was going to ask you. So in terms of re- resolution, like, should we expect for this to stretch on a long time? Or is this one of those? Well, she, if, yeah, if, and if, she, if, there, if there's no liability, if the jury doesn't find any liability on her part, then that's it's over. She doesn't know anything except her attorney's fees. Um, but if, if she gets a, if there's a judgment, then I, you can expect there's probably going to be an appeal. It's going to run up to probably this, uh, run up the chain of the appellate courts. And then, uh, which means that the lawyers are going to get paid more. Both sides are going to have to pay more in legal expenses. Uh, but let's assume that he gets a verdict and it goes all the way and, and it stands up on the last appellate court that says, well, it's affirmed. Then he's got to try and collect from her. Right. And the simple thing for her is to get a bankruptcy attorney, go down and declare bankruptcy. Right. She's discharged. He gets nothing. Yeah. And she goes about her life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the other thing 
I, I'm remembering when this kind of all came up, a video that she released without him knowing. And that was kind of her first bit of evidence mm-hmm. that he had been abusive. Mm-hmm. And I think about the term of citizen journalism, right? And it's what people say with Twitter. Like back years ago, we were um, dependent on the media for, you know, articles and photos and videos. And now things like this can happen where she can just hold up her iPhone, take a video of him, you know, unknowingly and submit that as fact. Um, Does that have any point in this, you know, with defamation, like, hey, she took this and I wasn't even aware. Well, there'll be some folks, I mean, could be some folks who th- think, well, I, I don't like that. I mean, she's basically photographing him without his his knowledge. I mean, that's kind of sneaky. Yeah. There, are, there are some folks who'll say, I don't like that. Yeah, yeah. But in terms of the actual verdict, it's really just a, a feeling on the jury gets if they liked, you know, if it felt sneaky, like there's no, because it didn't show him you know, physically hurting her, right? I mean, right. even that bit of evidence is it's kind of inconclusive, right? Yeah. Um, so I think, okay, so is there is there any other thing in terms of that that, uh, you know, are the ethical standards that the jury should be aware of, you know, that they're kind of taking into account here? Were his actions ethical or were hers ethical? Well, no, that what they're going to have to look uh, – the only the only role that that would play is whether or not they are going to how they're going to view her testimony and to some extent her credibility. Yeah. Uh, the, you know they might they they can take all that into consideration and decide whether they're going to believe anything she says on the witness stand. Yeah. Uh, but t- if if they if they find that that has she maliciously defamed him, uh, then they're going to have to decide what's it worth. Yeah. And they're going to have to basically figure out dollars and cents, how much does she owe him? Yeah. It's that simple. You know, you can, that's what every case comes down to, a civil case comes down to ultimately is dollars and cents. Really, rather than like the ethical or the relationship part of it, right? I mean, that's what I've been thinking is, you know, I'm a wife and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, if she was really treated this way, if the details that are coming out in these recent days during her deposition are true, that's horrible. Um, but it really is kind of coming down. Well, I don't know how, I haven't watched her testimony, so I'm not sure of how she comes across, uh, whether she's coming across as, as real or whether she's coming across as fake. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, uh, I watched some of his testimony, he was testifying and, and his mumbling and her testify very intently and and they're forming even though they you're not the jurors aren't supposed to make up their minds right. until the judge tells them to go out and decide the case every juror is getting some vibes they're during the all during the trial yeah. and i remember even and judges do too i remember in criminal cases uh when i was trying something some a criminal case and the defendant testified mm-hmm. uh and i got the feeling that the defendant was lying mm-hmm. I made a mental note, yeah, and I thought, okay, yeah, and if they were convicted, I guarantee you, I sentenced them harder than I would have if they had not lied, or if they had stayed off the witness stand and not gotten up there and lied under oath. Yeah, yeah, and that you said you hadn't seen her uh, her testimony. I think the one thing that's happening with it is that the witnesses seem to be at least confirming addiction. On his end, um, which, you know, is kind of doing her testimony justice in yeah. a way. 
Um, and maybe this is just ignorance on my part, but some of the things they're talking about that he's using are illegal. Is that not a part of this that they would say to him, like, hey, you're using illegal drugs here? I, I think the average person, civilian, is going to say, well, I imagine it goes on all the time out in Hollywood. Yeah, okay. Wow. I mean, I imagine Sean Penn and some of these others probably are doing the same thing. They just haven't been caught. This case just looks drastically different because they're celebrities. Yeah. And I think that's kind of tough for the average American, to your point earlier about if we went out on the streets of Gastonia, because not that any person has ill will towards Johnny or Amber, but it's kind of tough when you see that different standards exist, right? I mean, that feels, I hate to use this word again, but it feels unfair. Well, and I, you know, I saw it on, just, you know, just regular civil cases. Sometimes you would, uh, you get a jury and you, you know, plaintiffs talking about how bad they've got it and, you know, how, you know, this, that, and the other. And maybe they're upper middle class or, or upper class folks, the plaintiffs and upper class folks, probably driving them a very expensive car or something. And, and I'll give you an example. I tried a case, a condemnation case in Mecklenburg County. And um, it was a matter of, a, of a, several homeowners in southeast Charlotte had sued the city of Charlotte mm -hmm. because the city had located a new fire station okay. near their homes. And they said uh, that the, uh, the, the, when the fire signal went off uh, uh, and the trucks roared out, that it interfered with their use and enjoyment and the peace and tranquility of their homes. Mm -hmm. So they were suing, they sued the city. And um, the, the lawyers did a very good job presenting their cases. We did a jury view, mm -hmm. which if I had been the plaintiff's lawyers, a lawyer, I don't know in hindsight that I would have done it because we go out, the jurors go out uh, to see these houses. They're in a gated development. Right. They're huge. Mm -hmm. They're huge. And I'm thinking to myself when we're out there, mm, if I was living in a, you know, house built in the 1950s and, you know, I'd be thinking, what are these people complaining about? Right, right. Yeah. I could put up a little noise. I'll swap with you, take my house, and I'll... Yeah. <laughs> it does feel a little bit out of touch, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 Um, well, I, I want to thank you for your time as we kind of wrap this up. Um, do you have any parting words for the audience, people who might be aware of this case? What would you say to them? Uh, this is not a, a normal run-of-the-mill case. I don't think you can take it as a, as a prototype are a good example of what goes on every day in a courthouse across North Carolina right. when cases are being tried. Right. I mean, this is an unusual case simply because these folks are celebrities. Yeah. And, and you know, you're going to get good old working people who have lawsuits that they go to trial that don't bear any resemblance. I, I, and, I, and I think to some extent you have to also be a little bit uh, – wary of what you watch on television anyway i used to tell jurors uh, when we were trying cases don't allow anything you've seen in the movies or on television to influence mm -hmm. your decisions in this case uh, because they bear very little resemblance to what actually goes on in most cases in north carolina courthouses and isn't it that jurors in a certain case are asked to refrain from watching any media coverage or reading news articles and things like that yeah, yeah. yep and i'm sure the judge the judges told them that every day 
don't watch any news accounts, don't read any news accounts, don't let anybody talk to you, yeah. or don't talk to anybody in your, that you know, friends, neighbors, whatever about the case, just put it aside. Uh, the other thing that's interesting about this case is it's been tried in Virginia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why? Um, you got Virginians on the jury, probably cross-section of the community. What if it were being tried in California, yeah. in Los Angeles County, yeah. or down in uh, in Malibu, the Malibu, or one of the upper income areas of California? Right. Different group of people on the jury. And, and that's why they chose it. I don't know, but I always thought it was odd that it was filed in Virginia of all yeah. places. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think well, maybe they'd file it in New York yeah. State, or maybe they'd file it uh, in in California. But yeah. it's filed in Virginia of all places, and you're not going to have you're going to have a different breed of person on the jury in Virginia than you probably would in some areas of California. And maybe that was intentional. What I was just sitting here thinking was on the part of the jury, you have a challenge here that you don't have a challenge with in in standard cases, which is typically, I would guess, when you're assigned to a jury, you don't know the people that are, you know, they're not celebrities. Here, maybe... I'm sure you probably couldn't have a huge Pirates of the Caribbean fan on this jury, right? Because Mm -hmm. there's People sometimes have a hard time separating actors from their characters, and so I think there's a the the topic of bias here is is a little bit more challenging than in standard cases. Mm-hmm. And you'd have the same situation with uh, Alec Baldwin's case, yeah. if it ever goes to wherever brought one to a criminal case. You know, you'd have some folks who think probably like Alec Baldwin as an actor, and some who think he's a slub. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> it's been great to talk with you today, Judge Boner. I really appreciate your time. I also want to thank our audience for joining us. If you enjoyed Conversatio, please subscribe and tell your friends. Conversatio is available through Spotify and Apple and Google Podcasts. Until next time, I'm Julia Long. God bless.